The Queen's Jewish Link presents the Jewish Living Podcast, the show that examines the many facets of Orthodox Jewish life. Here's your host, Izzo Zwerin. Ever since COVID began, the country has seen an enormous uptick in violence committed against members of the Asian American community. From random upticks of violence on the streets, especially against the elderly, to a horrific shooting spree in Atlanta, these events have shaken the Asian American community. Unfortunately, these acts of violence are all too familiar to us in American Jewish communities. We have experienced random acts on the streets, and mass shootings in homes, grocery stores, and synagogues. These similarities are not often drawn, and I want to make sure we have on the exact right person to discuss it. Hi, I'm Congresswoman Grace Meng from Queens, New York, District 6. Congresswoman Meng and I will get into the history behind anti-Asian thinking in the United States, how it exists today, and how COVID has played a part in it. We will also discuss the comparable Jewish and Asian American communities and how we can do our part. Congresswoman Grace Meng, it is an honor and a privilege to have you on our show. Thank you so much for joining us this uh, evening, I guess, is when we're recording this. Uh, I certainly appreciate it, and and I uh, would like to uh, let you know that I am a I was one of your constituents. Um, that is, you, you're I don't live there anymore, but uh, that is the district that I grew up in and lived there for for the first twenty seven or eight years of my life, and um, really really enjoyed my time in your district. And I, I appreciate you agreeing to come on and having a little chat with us. No problem. Thank you for having me. All right. So I just want to get a quick background on you. I know you have a uh, limited time. So I just want to get a quick, quick background. How did you get into um, how did you get into politics and specifically into into Congress? So I never thought growing up that I would go into politics. Uh, I was actually a relatively shy and introverted kid. Um, I had done uh, a lot of internships during college and law school for various government agencies and realized that government and politics when used correctly could really be a great tool to help a lot of people at once. Um, I was fascinated. There weren't a lot of minorities. There weren't a lot of women uh, in a lot of the offices where I worked in. And so I thought that it would be a great opportunity to work within the halls of government, never thinking I would actually be a candidate. Um, you know, I worked in the community for a little bit and without knowing much about politics, decided to run for office. I didn't make it the first time. And the second time I was elected to the New York State Assembly, the New York State Legislature here. Um, and within a few years, uh, Congressman Gary Ackerman, my Congress member at the time, announced that he was retiring. And so within about 36 hours, uh, I decided to give it a try. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's a nice story. Um, the reason that we have you on this week is to talk about a topic that has been going on uh, in the eyes of Americans uh, today for, for about a year plus now, but really in the grand scheme of our history for a really, really long time. Um, and that is the uh, anti-Asian hate. Now, we can go through a whole history of this. Um, and that would probably take up the entire time of this podcast. But from the the Chinese workers on the transcontinental railroad and the uh, Japanese internment camps, this goes back a long way, and 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 probably a ton of other things that I don't know about. But can you give us a little bit of a, a touch of the of of a, of a history of the anti Asian uh, hate within this country? 
Sure. Well, you touched upon it uh, very accurately. You said that you don't know much about the history of Asian Americans um, being discriminated against this country. Well, that's true of most of America and including many Asian Americans. Um, we haven't learned enough about the diverse history in this country, whether it's Asian Americans to the Holocaust, um, to many issues. And so that's a longer conversation that we all need to have. Um, but there is a true history of this uh, in this country where Asian Americans have often been scapegoated out of uh, somewhat ignorant fear. Um, and so there were actually laws on the books preventing people who look like me from becoming American citizens. And then during World War II, Japanese American citizens were literally locked up. Um, there's just a, always been a sort of perception that Asian Americans are outsiders and we're foreigners and that we don't truly uh, look uh, or act or sound American. And so we have seen a lot of this in our country's history. Right, and that's not only with the Asian American community, but mm -hmm. it's, it definitely uh, is something that I believe is, is kind of swept under the rug. It's not something that we talk about when, when especially these days when we're talking about uh, racial inequities and things like that, the Asian American community isn't on the top of the list. Why do you think maybe the hate committed against the Asian American community kind of gets pushed to the side or sometimes even swept under the rug in favor of either other ethnic minorities um, or other issues? I think the what I like to call the muscle of advocacy and the vocabulary of advocacy in the Asian American community is relatively young. Um, Asian Americans sort of have this stereotype of being taught not to rock the boat, not, not to speak up too loudly, and just to mind our own business. And that's sort of what many of us have been taught our whole lives. I think in recent months when we've seen so many elderly being attacked, many in the community just felt like we can't stay silent anymore, you know, and you don't have to be Asian American to feel sympathy and, and anger when you see these elderly people being attacked. Anyone thinks about their own grandparents or, you know, people that they know being attacked. And because of what's happening to Asian Americans across this country, I think that our voices and our concerns are finally being heard and the mainstream community is finally paying attention to the community, which I really haven't seen my entire life growing up in New York. So does it make you, does it make you feel better that now that you're getting more attention or does it make you feel like maybe there's more things to have attention on? I think both, that's a good point. I mean, after we saw many attacks on the elderly and then the tragedy that happened in Atlanta, um, of course I was horrified, but part of me felt a sense of relief. You know, I said, I kept saying to myself, you know, wow, people are paying attention and people are asking me about these cases and they're not Asian. And I had never really, felt that before and seen such a widespread showing of support from people outside the Asian American community has really been so heartwarming. 
So let's talk about some of the actual uh, violence that's been going on. You mentioned a little bit of it, uh, both in terms of the elderly that's been uh, targeted mostly, even though it's not exclusive, as we saw in Atlanta, um, but also the reasoning behind it. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, the, the the term scapegoats. Um, now, I think that's a history of almost uh, of a lot of hate against a lot of groups. Um, but if you go back to the Japanese internment camps, they were the scapegoats for World War II. If you go back now to, and if we come back full circle to, to COVID, I'm assuming that the reason, and, and we'll talk about your bill that you're introducing or your, your resolution that you're introducing, um, where uh, it's people might be considering uh, Asian Americans scapegoats for COVID. They see, oh, oh this, this um, seems to have originated in China and it's your fault. So we're going to take it out on you. Uh, that seems to be the mentality. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the scapegoating aspect of it, and especially why you think uh, elderly are being attacked. Yeah, well, look, people who commit these attacks are often cowards, right? Whoever the victim is, they probably target people who seem and look vulnerable, whether that's uh, the elderly, whether that's young children, whether that's women, um, you name it. Um, Asian Americans have often been seen as foreigners and outsiders. And so when we were at especially the beginning of this pandemic and here in America, we didn't know much about this virus at all. If you remember in February, I remember having conversations um, with federal leaders saying, you know, should we be wearing masks? We didn't even know a lot of these basic things that we know now. We didn't know even where to get tested for the virus. Um, we had heard, you know, news stories, of course, about the virus originating, whether it's China or Italy. Um, but we really saw a lot of small businesses sort of being um, boycotted because people were scared that if you ate at a Chinese takeout restaurant, you might get COVID. Um, and a lot of times people simply can't really tell the difference between a Chinese American and Asian American and can't distinguish it from the Chinese government. So I always say, of course, we can have these conversations but you know, don't do it by putting a target on the backs of fellow American citizens um, like yourselves. So it wouldn't be the Jewish living podcast if I didn't draw comparisons to the anti-Semitism that we face. Now, I'm gonna come at it from a little bit of a different angle. Um, this built up. Um, we saw with the, with the uh, uh, Asian American hate that it started Let's say, let's say the modern hate started with um, these uh, small attacks, physical violence against Asian Americans, especially the elderly, and then it built up, built up, built up until the point where you had something like the events in Atlanta. We had that also. We had uh, mm -hmm. years of uh, the, the popular game Knock Out the Jew on the streets, and, that, and those types of things built up, built up, built up until we saw the events at the end of, at the end of uh, 2019, where we had uh, two, uh, two uh, attacks that ended up with several people dead. I don't think that my community knows, in, I, you mentioned earlier how about the entire uh, nation, even, even Asian Americans don't understand about this, but the, the fact that there's so much similarities between the Jewish 
community and and their trials and tribulations and the Asian American community and their trials and tribulations, why do you think maybe there isn't as much dialogue between the two communities as there as there maybe could be based on our histories and our our common enemies? That's a great question. And that's something that is often on the top of my mind as I represent a district, which you know of, um, that has a significant Asian population and a Jewish population. I represent uh, Main Street, which on one end is a large Orthodox population and on the other end is a large Asian American population. And we've done, we've started doing some events, you know, um, coordinating some activities so the two communities could get to know each other, talking about our history uh, in Shanghai, China, um, between the Chinese and Holocaust survivors. And there's just, there is a beautiful history, but I will tell you that partnership has actually blossomed even in this time of turmoil and during this pandemic. Um, Jewish Americans here in New York at the beginning were also scapegoated um, when this virus was happening, um, where some of the earliest cases were happening and there was just an assumption of um, where these cases would next pop up or who, you know, was spreading this virus. And so, you know, during this time of increased hate incidents, some of the most heartwarming um, outrage that we have seen um, is from leaders uh, in the Jewish community. And they often tell me um, the importance of reminding people that words matter, words really matter. And as I've said before, oftentimes I feel that the Asian American community is relatively young in its um, and how it advocates for itself. And there are organizations, whether it's the ADL, or AJC, JCRC, you name it, they have been reached, local rabbis in my district, I have to give a shout out to, have been reaching out from the very beginning, um, you know, virtually holding the hands of our Asian American community and helping even to give guidance on how to be better advocates for our community and speaking up and standing alongside the Asian American community. And so while there's always more work to be done and while this is a terrible moment in our history, there have also popped up opportunities where we're getting to know each other better and working more closely together. That's phenomenal to hear. Um, I, I was gonna do this at the end, but um, since we're on the topic, um, what can we do as individuals, as a community to kind of help spread this information to spread the word um about this these these acts of violence and and we'll get to other there's going to be other things that we didn't talk about but what can what can we do to to help out in any way that we can i mean just seeing the asian american community including us calling hate out when we see it and we should all be doing this for each other's community and it's been challenging but wonderful also in recent weeks where, you know, I'll say to the Asian American community, if we see or read about anti-Semitic acts or language, we have to call it out as Asian Americans too. 
And so, you know, the president of the NAACP, uh, we were on a panel with the uh, ADL and he said something about the importance of uh, being a friend before you need a friend. And I just think that this is, you know, such an incredible moment um, when, when we see Jewish leaders calling out instances of hate against Asian Americans, it's so powerful, it's so impactful. And of course, communities call out hate against their own communities, but to have people outside of the community call it out um, is very, very helpful. I do wanna shift over to uh, some other things that might be affecting the Asian American community that you, that, that aren't really getting the press right now. I mean, the violence is an issue, um, but there are other things, specifically on the educational side, um, if you, if, if you want to talk about this. Um, you, are, uh, you are presiding over a district that contains the fifth nationally ranked high school in the country, according to U.S. News and World Report. That's uh, Townsend Harris. And there has been a push recently to have more uh, racial balance in public schools, especially these magnet schools that attract, you know, uh, high, high intelligent, uh, high intelligence students. Um, but does this affect the Asian American community um, to a, a larger degree than any other community as well? So I've been pretty vocal uh, against the concept of getting rid of the specialized high school exam. Um, and look, as a graduate of one of these schools, I do not think it's okay that a freshman class at Stuyvesant had only seven black students, but getting rid of the exam itself for just those select schools is not going to um, accomplish what we are trying to accomplish, which is to ensure that every child in every neighborhood in this city has equal access to good education. It's easy, it's an easy political solution to say, let's get rid of the exam. The harder and the right thing to do is to invest in all schools. Why should a kid in a certain part of New York City or in Queens not be able to go to a local school? And I would love to see more of these specialized high schools. My son is applying to school, high schools right now. I don't wanna send him to Manhattan or the Bronx or Brooklyn, no offense to those boroughs, but if he can get into a Townsend Harris or a school in our neighborhood, um, I would love that. Um, and that's how we should be thinking as politicians, as elected officials to ensure that all, our, all schools are good. So you diversify the specialized schools. What kind of message is that saying to the other kids who don't get to go to those public schools? Because you're not going to let everyone in. Right. Not everyone can fit physically. Um, we got to believe in the kids and invest in them and give them resources. Also, the ones who aren't able to go to those specialized schools. Um, and so I think that it's the easy way out to say, let's just get rid of uh, the exams. And now in our schools where we're getting uh, a lot of federal and state money, this is the time to do it. This is the time uh, to build and to improve uh, schools in all parts of our city. I appreciate you saying that. that. That has been something on my mind. And it doesn't only affect 
public schools, there are admissions issues when it comes to higher education also that kind of affect the Asian American community um, more so than, than, any other, than any other demographic. Um, but I, I do wanna shift a little bit away from there and ask you just a very simple question. And then I do wanna to get to the, the house resolutions that, you're, that you have already uh, introduced and then are, are planning on introducing. It's just a basic question. We're talking about the Asian American community as it's one cohesive unit. But you don't have to be a geographer to know that there are that e that the East Asia contains a large amount of of space and multiple different countries. Do do does the Asian American community see itself as one community, or do they see itself like, oh, I, this is the Korean community, this is the Chinese community, the Japanese community? Do they do, and if so, are they insulted when we just kind of lump them all together? That's a really good question. Um, I am sort of an in-between generation, right? My parents were immigrants to this country and now I'm raising my own American-born kids in this country. Um, I remind people that Asian Americans are not a monolith. Like you said, we are very diverse. I also tell people in my own community um, and a lot of them are more recent immigrants, so they don't necessarily relate to being called Asian American. They relate to being called Bangladeshi American, um, Chinese American, for example. So you're right. But I also tell you, tell them that on many issues, when we are advocating for more programs and services for our community, um, that we need to work together with other Asian American communities, even if you don't feel like you have that much in common with them. I said, if you're no one's breaking you down into just the Chinese Americans, right? Like our statistics and our analyses are not that um, are not that fancy yet, right? And right. so we need to work together uh, as an Asian American, community to try to get more help for our community in general. Just like in, in Queens, you know, we try to, when it's helpful, to advocate for constituents uh, borough-wide, county-wide in Queens, instead of just breaking it up into Fresh Meadows or, or Bayside, right? One, one group or one neighborhood might have enough, but the surrounding neighborhoods surrounding Asian American communities might not. So hmm. it, that's why it's important, I tell them, to work together. Okay, I, this is something I always was, I was curious yeah. about, especially yeah. since the, this whole issue has been uh, come to the forefront. Yeah, um, it's kind of generational, yeah. So it's, a, right, and do, I, don't, I don't know if this is the term that we use, but is there more uh, intermarriage between different Asian groups as we get along? Um, I would say, you know, when most, immigrants are here in this country, most of them probably have gotten married in their home country and then come here. And as with any group, it does get more diverse, you know, the longer and the more generations that right. are here uh, in the United States. So uh, an Asian immigrant who immigrated here might not refer to themselves as Asian American, but be more mm. specific, whereas a second or third generation like myself would refer to myself more as Asian American. Okay, um, so let's get to your house resolution. So first you introduced one, it's all over a year ago now, because you introduced this resolution right away, right as COVID became a thing. Uh, you introduced uh, house resolution 908, 
which was uh, denouncing anti-Asian hate crimes, um, or actually anti-Asian hate in general. Um, so, and then now you're reintroducing it as 151. So first of all, for our audience, what does a resolution do? Like what, what so, so you introduce a resolution and let's say it passes, it goes through the whole thing. What does a resolution do? So I actually introduced two pieces of legislation. One was the resolution that you mentioned. It is really just symbolic. Um, it has no real teeth. Okay. It costs no money. But I just thought it was important for Congress to take a stand, both Republicans and Democrats. Uh, and it was bipartisan to say that Congress stands against these hate acts towards Asian Americans, right, that are happening at that time. Um, the other piece of legislation that I introduced was the Hate Crimes Act um, that is actually being voted on in the Senate this week, thanks to our Senator Schumer and Senator Hirono from Hawaii. Um, and hopefully our side in the House will pass it in the upcoming weeks. Um, this really just provides more resources um, for the Department of Justice to have dedicated personnel to review these types of cases. Right now, it's really done on a piecemeal basis, depending on what state and what jurisdiction um, you're from. Um, the federal government isn't able right now to have sufficient data on these incidents, where they're happening, how they're being prosecuted. Um, there's no real unified uh, system to do this. So we want better data as with any situation, serious situation, um, we wanna make sure that we have a more complete and accurate picture. And it also provides resources for local law enforcement to make it easier for people to report. A lot of people, whatever community you're from, they're, they're scared to report. It's, it's not a familiar process. People are busy. They don't necessarily wanna sit there and wait for a police officer. Um, so there are many reasons why people don't report, but we want to encourage easier ways to report these incidents. I was going to say, this sounds like something that's not going to uh, be a positive uh, aspect for, a, po a positive gain for the Asian American community. It seems like it works across the board for a lot of communities. Is, is there something that's specific towards the Asian American community, or is this really just going to re help people uh, interact with the police uh, more safely? Well, this will definitely help the Asian American community because we want to make it easier for people to report. There are often language obstacles um, or a variety of reasons why people don't report. So it definitely will help paint a fuller picture of what's going on. You know, you hear a lot about a lot of these incidents, like the number of 3,800 incidents, for example. That was literally correct, collected by a local nonprofit group who was just nice enough to collect these statistics. It wasn't from our government um, on any level at all. So we wanna make sure that there's actual data out there, but this will help you know, any victim of any hate incident or crime will benefit from this law. That's phenomenal. Um, the, 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 the resolution you introduced last March, uh, 2020, wasn't voted on until September. Um, this one seems to be moving through a lot faster. What is the difference? Why did one take so long so it was, it, was, it was several months before it was voted on versus yeah. versus this one seems to be moving. And, and and the one that you introduced last September was just a resolution. It wasn't it wasn't something right. that cost money. It was just saying, hey, stop doing this or hey, this is bad versus this one that is going to have an impact. It's going to um, it's going it's probably going to cost some some dollars. It's going and it's and it's going to take up resources. Why did one take so long to just say, don't do this, whereas one saying, 
going is, is going through really fast that will cost money that 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 uh, that will impact our, our budget yeah that's a really good question look i i will never be one to try to predict what congress did and why um <laughs> but i will say that you know, like with many people, when we were talking about the violence against Asian Americans over this past year, it seemed kind of anecdotal, right? Like there weren't really many images um, or videos out there. You only kind of knew about it if people that you knew were talking about it or if you knew that it happened to someone. But I think in the past few months, you know, once the video started coming out, and once that group that I mentioned um, started publicizing its reports and the high number of incidents, 3,800 in this case, um, people really started to pay attention. And you know what, when, when, when everyday citizens pay attention, they probably raise it to their elected officials, like their Congress members, and there is some, you know, good, but some pressure to take action. Um, and so everything did happen relatively quickly. And I think a lot of it is a testament to the media, to the local groups that were collecting a lot of these reports. Um, thank you for clarifying that. Um, I, I don't have any more questions for you, but I was wondering if there's anything else that you would like to impart on my audience. Usually I give my guests a little bit of extra time if there's any other information they want to know, or if there's any other topic that we did not broach or it's not even related to what we talked about that you think would be important uh, for people to take away? Well, you know, it sounds a little cliche, but I really do want to say thank you to the Jewish community for really stepping up and being so vocal in public and showing solidarity to the Asian American community. Um, my, I have such a privilege in my job to work very closely with both communities. But as you said in the beginning, you are right. We don't get to work closely enough. And so let's be more intentional and I'm happy to be that partner. Let's be more intentional in finding ways that we can mutually get to know each other better um, and to work uh, more closely together. Oh, great, are there any resources that you think people should check out? Um, well, there are many groups from, like I mentioned that we've been working with, um, the AJC, JCRC, they've really been very active in coordinating a lot of programs, um, working with a lot of the leaders in many different communities. And uh, for listeners out there, uh, Congresswoman Ming was on uh, a, a, a podcast, I guess, or was it a, a conference call with the JCRC last week, uh, which is available, I believe, on YouTube on the JCRC website. And if we could find it, we will link to it um, in our show notes and on our social medias. Uh, Congresswoman Meng, thank you so much for spending uh, time with us. I know your time is very valuable and we certainly appreciate you taking the time out. Thank you so much for having me. My thanks to Congresswoman Meng for joining me this week. On Thursday of last week, one day after our conversation, the Senate overwhelmingly passed the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act to combat anti-Asian hate, 94 to 1. It now moves to the House for a vote, which is expected to take place next month. In her statement, Congresswoman Meng said, I have heard from so many Asian Americans who tell me that they are scared to walk outside. Families won't let their kids go to the park or play outdoors. People are urging their parents and grandparents to stay inside, telling them that they'll run errands and deliver groceries to them. Being forced to endure this terror and fear is unconscionable and unacceptable. Everybody in our country deserves to feel safe. 
and that includes the Asian American community. Again, I commend the Senate for moving our COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act closer to the finish line, and I now look forward to the House swiftly following suit. This message is something that should resonate to our community as well. A link to the Congresswoman's full statement is available in our show notes. Until next time, Kultur. The Jewish Living Podcast is produced by Srelly Pikus. Our theme song is The Band by A.B. Rottenberg. Follow us on Facebook at The Jewish Living Podcast and on Twitter and Instagram at Jewish underscore living. You can also email the show at jewishlivingpodcast at gmail.com. The Jewish Living Podcast is recorded in conjunction with the Queen's Jewish Link.